Hey Forge family, this is episode 10 of Jacob's story. Last time we were together, Jacob had been sending messengers to Esau, his brother, his twin brother, to let Esau know that uh, he was coming back into the land of Canaan and he had um, flocks and herds and children with him. And uh, the messengers returned, and they said, yeah, uh, Esau's coming, and he's coming with 400 mounted men. That was a, a 400 was a, a standing kind of number to denote uh, a militia. But it also speaks of how Esau had spent the previous 20 years apart from Jacob. You see, if a man has 400 men that he can mount and who can ride with him, he's in charge of several thousand other men. And as it turned out, Esau had been uh, uh, leading a band of, of raiders, of warriors, men who lived by the sword, and he had overrun and conquered the Horites, and driven them out of Mount Seir. Uh, today, if you go to the modern nation of Jordan, that region would be where you would find the Red Rock um, Fortress of, of Petra. So, Jacob hears that there's 400 men riding to meet him. And he's caught, he was caught with great fear and distress, and uh, he divides his everything he has, his flocks, his herds, into two companies with the, with the logic that if one of them is attacked, perhaps one will survive. And then he's called to prayer. Um, and he plays back to God the, the prayer of, uh, the, excuse me, the blessing that God gave him 20 years before when he was, a, he was asleep with his head on a stone in Bethel. And, and in the prayer, Jacob says, God, I'm going to hold you to your promises that you would protect me and care for me. And then he, he uh, spends the night there, and then he rises, and he puts together five droves of choice animals, camels and donkeys and cattle and sheep and goats, and he sends them off in uh, with servants to drive them ahead of him to the south um, in the direction that Esau was approaching from with instructions that he was to, uh, they were to announce that these were, um, they were the property of Jacob, but they were designed to be a gift to Esau. And he said, uh, yeah, you know, it was an attempt to appease Esau. And then perhaps Esau will turn his face to me and he will perhaps accept me. When all that preparation had been done, he rises again in the middle of the night and sends his family off. Uh, it, it was a dangerous thing, but he has them ford this river in the middle of the night and, and sends them to the other side of the Javok River. And he's left alone. And it is there that he is... Um, He's encountered, he's a, literally he's attacked, if you will. This man appears in the dark and wrestles with Jacob all the remainder of the night until dawn. 
and and neither of them can um, dominate the other one. Yeah, they are they are uh, they are equals in strength and endurance. And when um, it is apparent that Jacob was not going to let him go, this man, this Chris, um, this Christophany, this this um, presence of the living God, the pre-incarnate Jesus, seeing that Jacob was not going to let him go, he reaches out and touches the hollow of his hip and lames Jacob. He dislocates the man's hip with a touch. So all Jacob can do is cling to him and not get any, you know, not leave any gap between them, but to use all his strength just to cling onto this man. <clears throat> and he demands that this that this man bless him before he lets him go. And in return for that, he, he received a name change. He had to own up to the fact that his name was Jacob, supplanter, deceiver, one who uses his wiles. And God says, you're going to be no longer Jacob, but Israel, the one who, who struggled with God and struggled with men and has prevailed. Jacob then names that place Peniel. For I've seen the face of God and I have lived to tell about it. And at the end of that time, Forge, I urged us all to be receiving and seeking this very same God who wrestles with us just like he did with Jacob. He longs for greater intimacy with us and he longs to accomplish his plan in us. And he will go to great lengths to do that. So now when we start in chapter 33, let's begin with prayer. Lord, uh, we ask you now in this, in this uh, chapter of Genesis where Jacob has to come face to face with his brother Esau. Lord, help us see uh, more than plot line, more than words. We long to be those who learn from what passes before us, especially in the scriptures. So Lord, we stir us up to receive what's here. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 33, actually there is no chapter break here. Um, it just says that Jacob was limping away from his encounter with this wrestler and he lifted his eyes and you step from one chapter to the next at that point. Jacob looks and sees Esau approaching because out of the distance 400 mounted men moving swiftly on camels would have raised a plume of dust. He could see Esau coming for miles. And he knows what that means. And so he, again, he divides his family into, into family groupings. He has Bilhah stand with Dan and Naphtali. He has Zilpah, the second handmaiden that has become his wife. She stands with Gad and with Asher. And then he arranges for Leah to be in the second line. And she stands with Reuben, who's probably now 18, 19 years old. Reuben and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah. And lastly, he, 
he puts at the very back, he puts his beloved Rachel and Joseph. And so, in a sense, there's an ascending order here of family uh, presentation and also protection. Family favoritism is a real plague that they're going to have to deal with, and it's going to play out through hundreds of years. It's not pretty. So then Jacob, limping, limping, he moves out ahead. He leads now. There's no coward left in him. He moves out ahead, and the text says that as he sees his brother approaching close, he bows to the ground, puts his nose and his forehead to the ground seven times. It's a well-attested thing in ancient Near Eastern literature that when a vassal, a a lesser person approaches a greater person, let's say that, the vassal is to bow to his lord. And so Jacob's protocol is exactly that. He comes and the lesser approaches the greater. Jacob moves out in front to meet with Esau. And then there's these sevenfold bow down to the earth motions. In his description of himself, he says, I am your servant. See, that's the language of a vassal to a lord. In fact, Esau is referred to as lord. And then comes the presentation of gifts. So Jacob has stacked the deck the best he knows how. He sent out a blizzard of of livestock to give to to Esau. He's come with all this protocol and When Esau comes roaring up with his armed men, Esau dismounts and blows up all the protocol. He runs to greet his brother. He embraces him. He throws his arms around Jacob. He kisses him and he weeps. Now for both of them, both of them, tears are cathartic. They had 20 years to think about this. For 20 years it was Jacob looking over his shoulder because his brother had threatened to kill him. And now here's Jacob returning to the land and and, he, and here's Esau's twin brother, brother coming back and, and he wants to know, what is this? Is this a fearful homecoming? Is this a mighty company that's come to, to challenge me? Both men are in tears. But Esau, who is the superior, if you will, and the older, if it's minutes or hours, he's the older brother of the twins, he speaks first. He opens the conversation and he says, Who who are these that are behind you? And Jacob turns and ignores his wives. And he says, These are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Because in his eyes, in Jacob's eyes, those children were God keeping his promises that there would be descendants like the dust of the earth. And then the wives and the children come in ascending order and they bow to Esau. And then second, Esau says, what is the meaning of all these companies, these droves that I've met. See, there are five droves numbering 550 prime animals. They were Jacob's 
army, if you will, that he sent out ahead of him. That same word for drove and company is also a word for army. And only Jacob's army was an army of gifts that he was giving. He was sending to Esau to find favor in Esau's sight. Now, Esau's response is fascinating because Esau says, I have plenty. Keep your stuff. He sort of flicks it off with the back of his hand. Now, if you recall, there was a blessing that that Isaac gave to his son Esau. Isaac had set up a secret blessing and sent Esau off in chapter 25. And he was supposed to go get some venison and prepare the spicy food. And Rachel here overheard that. Rachel overheard there was going to be this secret, underhanded thing that was going to be done. And she sets up Jacob to, to prepare a meal, wear the, the fleece of the, the baby goats on his neck and his arms and things like that and, and go into Isaac and get the blessing. And he does. And immediately after Isaac blesses Jacob, if you recall, Esau shows up and says, here I am, father. And, and it says, Isaac trembled greatly because he realized he had been deceived. And there's, Esau utters this, this loud cry. And, it, and he says, oh, bless me too. Bless me too. In verse 38, it says, Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword you shall live. And it shall come about when you become restless that you shall break your, I'm sorry, you shall serve your brother, and when you become restless you're going to break the yoke off your neck. See, it was an anti-blessing. Oh, it was away from the richness of life. And you'll make your way with your sword. And that's exactly what Esau had done for 20 years. He said, sure, I have, a, I have plenty. I don't, I don't need these animals. But Jacob is insistent. Remember, he, he was insistent to the man he had been wrestling with the night before, where he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And here with his brother, he says, please take this gift. And he's really sort of saying in a backhand way, I will not let you go, Esau, unless you accept my gift. See, Jacob is not just being reconciled being restored to his brother Esau. He is moving to make restitution. Jacob has seen Esau's face. He says, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Because within 24 hours before, 12 hours before, he had encountered this God and that God had blessed him. And so now here, here is Esau. He says, seeing your face turn to me, accepting me, is like seeing the face of God. But that reconciliation can only be sealed when Esau receives the gift. Now, forgies, when we encounter God, 
our sins and our brokenness are revealed and it's removed. And, and in some of those times when we encounter him anew and afresh, we see our lives for what they really are, for what they've been. Now, in, in this issue of, of uh, restitution, of paying back what, to make wrong, excuse me, if you've done something wrong, there's a way to make it right by making restitution. In Luke 19, Jesus is passing through Jericho. And a small man, his name was Zacchaeus, remember? He was the chief tax collector employed by the Roman occupiers to make sure that the taxes for Rome were collected and that he could line his pockets with whatever he could get out of the populace. Well, that small man wanted to see Jesus and couldn't see him through the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. And as Jesus passes through town and comes under that tree, Jesus, it says in the text, calls him by name. So either, either it's a moment of a word of knowledge, that man is named Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus was a notorious character, known by everybody for his rapacious um, ripoff of the population. Jesus says, get down. I have to come to your house today. And immediately it says the crowd begins to grumble. There's a critical thing going on in the crowd. And, and they're like, whoa, doesn't Jesus know that this man is a great sinner? Now the text in Luke 19 says, Zacchaeus stopped. Now, he, he may not have even been home yet. He may not have even arrived at his house. But he stopped and he says, Lord, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And, and if, and in this case, the, the Greek construction really is, and, and such is the case. And, and because I have, is what he's saying. And since I have defrauded individuals, I will pay them back four times over. I'll restore to them four times what I took from them. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there are passages that deal in the, in the civil code, if you will, in the, in the ordinances that the Lord said, this is how you're going to live together. And it said, if a man comes and steals a sheep, kills it and eats it, he has to repay four times. If he steals an ox, he has to repay five times. Five oxen for the one that he took. And in the case of fraud here, which is probably what was going on with Zacchaeus, in the Old Testament, it says you're to repay the full amount plus one-fifth. So here is a Jew, Zacchaeus, who's really out on the edge of society. He is so unclean. He is a sinner because he works for the Romans. And he is has doing his best to defraud the population by saying, 
you know, oh, you don't owe this much. You owe this much plus, because the, the plus was how he made his living. This man, Zacchaeus, knew exactly what he was saying, because in the Old Testament, when you took an animal or animals, you took away a man's livelihood. And so Zacchaeus doesn't opt for the full amount repaid plus one-fifth. He says, I'm going to repay four times over. What I've been taking from people has been their livelihood. Jesus answers in verse 9 of, of uh, Luke chapter 19. And he says, today salvation has come to this house because he too, Zacchaeus, this man formerly thought of as filthy, unclean, outside the bounds of, of Israel. This man too is a son of Abraham. So the Lord puts great value and emphasis on on this business of restitution. <clears throat> 43 years ago, I, uh, I was an intern in a pastoral intern program in a church on the peninsula. And uh, I was living with four guys in a house on, well, on, um, on Waverly Street in Palo Alto. My part of the rent was $114 a month. And I realized that's not even a grocery bill now. But that was what rent was 43 years ago. And um, one of the guys in the house uh, got engaged, planned to get married, and informed the other three of us that he was moving his new bride into that house, and we had to move out. And we, we agreed. That was a good plan for him, for his finances. And we, were, we could make the transition for a period of months until he moved on to a house of his own. And so um, I moved in with one of the elders at this church. And after a few months in that house, I got a, a last-minute ministry opportunity to travel with Dr. Ray Stedman. Now, at that time, uh, Dr. Stedman was the senior pastor at uh, this church, and um, he was headed to a, some powerful ministry opportunities in Dallas. And I wanted to go. Now, I also knew I only had $350 a month coming in. I'd raised ministry support. I lived very carefully, frugally, um, but it, I didn't have the money to buy, you know, to pay for a flight to Dallas and back. And um, Ray had said, nope, don't worry about the, the housing. You can stay in the room with me. So I had to cover my meals and I had to cover this flight. So I went to the elder I was living with and I asked him, uh, sort of brashly, uh, probably irresponsibly, if I could use my rent money to travel with, uh, with Ray Stedman instead of paying the rent. You know, if I'd thought about that, even twice I wouldn't have done that. But I was so excited about the possibility that I just jumped in. And, and the elders smiled and said, yes, that was fine. He understood that. That was a great opportunity. And I went off to do that. And indeed, it was a great ministry exposure, and I promptly forgot to scramble to work to pay off that rent that I owed that elder. Twenty-five years later, 
I was studying and I was working through the book of Romans and in Romans 13, chapter 11, it says, Oh, no man anything except love. And I went, uh-oh. You know, uh, I owe that man the rent. So I, I, I sat down, I calculated a very modest interest rate, I wrote a check, I called him, and I said, I have a check for you. Please give me your, your uh, mailing address. And he sort of blew me off. He was sort of brusque and like, I'm retired. I have enough. You keep it. I don't need it. Um, and I was sort of left in that conversation with a sense of, wait a minute, I'm trying to be obedient here. I'm trying to clean up unfinished business. And, he, and finally he got the point. And he says, no, no, just take that check and give it to some ministry. Well, in, in the Old Testament, actually, there was a provision so in which if it was not possible to make reconcili uh, make restitution with someone, uh, then what you would do is you take that same amount and you give it as an offering to the Lord. And so I did that uh, years ago. That's been done. Um, <clears throat> but it was, it was an interesting lesson for me at the time because the Lord was saying very clearly to me, don't pass over this. Now, here's the situation, Forge. Now, Jacob recognizes he has defrauded Esau. You know, he got that birthright by using a pot of highly seasoned red lentil stew. And, he, and the birthright included this, the double portion, the inheritance, along with the whole list of other things that we talked about in that first podcast. And then he deceived his father and, and stole the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn, to Esau. Now that blessing and that birthright, you know, was you know being blessed by God wasn't a big deal at all to Esau, but it was something he was trying to do with his father Isaac. And so, twenty years later, here comes Esau, and the Lord is standing in the shadows of this meeting. He's mediating Jacob's reconciliation with his brother. And he sees Jacob acting on and remembering his encounter with the Lord that in, in a, as a wrestler the night before at Peniel. And so this whole thing is happening uh, to, to uh, bring these brothers together. Finally, finally Jacob prevails and Esau takes the gift. That seals their reconciliation. And then Esau says, oh, no, come with me now. You know, let's load up. Let's go back to Mount Seir. And Jacob declines. He said, look, I'm a shepherd. My, my flocks and my children can't ride with the raiders. I'm not a raider. Now, I'm adding some phrasing there, okay? Um, but he, it's, it's very plain that this man, Jacob, has a blessing from God, and he has a promise that the land of Canaan will be populated by his descendants. Esau only has himself, and their lives are incompatible. Now, Forge family, are there any, any relationships that you have that need reconciliation, that need a, a, some restoration, 
where you've where it's been abraded, where where it's been hard, where there's absent, you know, you're you're absent from one another, there's distance, you don't talk anymore. But it but the Lord would say to you, go now and be reconciled. And then the second part of that question is, has restitution for some wrong been left undone? Has it just been unthought of? It's just dropped out of your mind. So this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And then move to partner with him to be restored and to make restitution. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll see you soon.